like a phoenix rising from the ashes. It's America's oldest, blindest podcast, The Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm a fucking Navy SEAL. <laughs> I'm Ben Sheets, and it's hammer time. And uh, it's just the two of us this evening, the OG Podboy squad. Uh, Cleveland is busy with work and uh, sends his his regards to all of our listeners, and he's uh, bummed he can't be here, but we're going to be talking about the brand new... 2021 film Don't Breathe 2, uh, directed by Roto Sayagas and written by Fede Alvarez, and it stars Stephen Lang, Brendan Sexton III, and Madeline Grace. And that's right, Stephen Lang is back. He's older, blinder than ever, but this time, he's the hero? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could say this is a little uh, misguided. Yeah, to to say to say the least, we'll just we'll just uh, dive right into it. Uh, this is the sequel to uh, 2016's "Don't Breathe." Is that when "Don't Breathe" I came think out? So. It's a film we've talked about on the show before. You can go back and listen to our episode on it. That that first one, which was uh, written and directed by Fede Alvarez, was one of our our favorite uh, horror films of the 2010s. I must say that uh, for a long time I have been very wary of this this sequel because I thought that the first Don't Breathe was a very well self-contained, sleazy, exploitative horror film that did not need a sequel. Yeah, and I mean, not to spoil the first one too much, but it gets into, like you said, very sleazy territory yes. where... The blind man, Stephen Lang's character, feels properly icky. Yeah, he's he. It's a movie that like makes him very definitively the villain. Like he's the bad guy, and this time around, he is the 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 role is reversed. He's put in into the shoes of. I mean, I guess you can say an anti-hero, but I'd say that a lot of the movie does a lot to try to make him like legitimately sympathetic, and. Well, I don't think it's necessarily bad at that. It's sort of impossible to uh, shake memories of the first film where, you know, Stephen Lang is is kidnapping and imprisoning women in his basement and using a turkey baster full of cum to, like, try to impregnate them. Like, you're not going to forget that going going into Don't Breathe 2. So, like, there are so many times where it's like there's trying to be in this movie, like, moments of, of, like, genuine sympathy for this old blind man. And it's just like... I could never quite buy it because I just keep thinking back to the turkey baster scene from the first one. And like, this is a bad guy. This is a bad man. You know? Well, yeah, because in this movie they use kind of a young girl as the fulcrum to kind of paint him as a yeah. heroic f- figure because he's protecting this young girl. But then you remember like he lost his daughter and that's like the reason the first one went into action. 
You know, right. and it's because he was destroyed by the loss of his daughter. So he was so desperate to become a father again and regain what he had lost that that's why he's like imprisoning and, and trying to impregnate these women, you know. So in this one, it starts It's like, well, he's got himself a new daughter. You know, he's he's found this little girl. He rescued her from a fire and uh, he has adopted her as his own and is sort of like training her for what i uh, i don't know yeah <laughs> there's still an ickiness there because like he doesn't let her out of the house at all yep you know they they try to play it as like the overprotective father but like you know he's he's training her in like combat and survival and he keeps her locked in uh you know i mean maybe not necessarily like like locked up like a prisoner but he forbids her to like ever leave the house so it's it's definitely hard to to shake those associations it's like well i mean i guess this was his goal right from the first one he got himself a daughter he finally did it but that doesn't mean it doesn't erase the deeds of his past and like the film a few times tries to like nod to that and be like oh yeah he's a bad man who's done some bad things and like his new adoptive daughter doesn't know any of those bad things he's done the narrative push of the film is that a a gang of uh ex-military tweakers show up at his house uh to to kidnap his his new daughter for you know reasons we find out what those reasons are later but at first it's kind of like well what's going on here and so the the role is kind of reversed similarly it's to the first one it's people breaking into his house to steal something from him but this time it's from his perspective rather than the intruder's perspective yeah. his and and the little girls yeah and this first half kind of felt like a repeat of the first movie in a lot of ways to the point where it left me a little underwhelmed. It feels yeah. like it was missing some creativity. And the, the the bigger problem I had with the first half is, you know, one of the charms of the first one is they set up the people that break in so well. Yeah. Right? Like, those are fleshed out characters that you're rooting for. And because this one is from the perspective of the blind man, like the characters that are breaking in, at least in the first half, feel very one dimensional. Yeah. Villainous. Yep. I don't know. It just felt like Well, yeah, the the problem is that sort of by necessity to to put Stephen Lang into like the hero's shoes, they have to kind of like deflate him in a lot of ways compared to how he was in the first one. Cause in the first one he's the villain, right? So he's he's portrayed as this like sort of unstoppable monster you know with like uh like a supernatural sense of hearing and awareness despite his blindness and since he's the hero of this movie they can't they can't portray him that way because then there would be no threat, right? But there, there's not like a reason for a, a narrative reason for sort of removing some of that intensity that he has in the first one. So there's a there's a good chunks of this movie where he's just getting the shit 
kicked out of him by like meth heads. Yeah. You know, and you think back to the first one, it's like he would have annihilated all of these people the second they set foot in his house. Yeah. Right. Like they would, he would have destroyed them. So. And he eventually does. Yes, he does. But the thing is like, it kind of strips the film of, you know, those actually tense horror moments because it almost feels more like an action movie a lot yeah, of times. Yeah, definitely. Um, in that, like, it's just him getting the shit rocked out of him or him, you know, fucking people up. Yeah. Um, and some of that is, you know, kind of creative, you know, when he super glues the dude's mouth and nose shut. Like, mm-hmm. okay, don't breathe. I, I get what you're doing. Yeah, here. oh, haha. That, yeah, funny. <laughs> uh, I did. I did think that it was in that scene. It was. Uh, it was kind of dumb that like that guy's friend who found him with like his his nose and mouth super glued shut. He gets like a. a a screwdriver and like punches it through his cheek to create like a new air hole. But then immediately after that, they just take some broken glass and like cut the super glue off of his mouth. Yeah. It's like, why didn't you just do that in the first place? That, that did, that scene did have one of my, one of my favorite dumb lines though, or pair of lines is cause in, in the garage, they see his, uh, his like framed like American flag and like his old military, uh, medals and pins and stuff and they see like a navy seals pin and one of the guys like this guy's a fucking navy seal and the other guy's like yeah a dead seal (laughs) (laughs) i thought it was like also like why did they why did they make all of the the tweakers like also ex-military yeah because they make a point of that where there's like the gardener lady or whatever like stops them in the road and like, did like, yo? Did you serve? We did too, all of us. Iraq. It's like uh, dishonorably <laughs> discharged yes. from a dishonorable war. That makes us honorable, right? <laughs> She's like, no. Um, I, I mean, I guess it's it's to make it somewhat believable that they'd also like have a chance, uh, you, uh, you know, against Stephen Lang because he's ex-military, they're ex-military, similar training. But you know, he's he's a SEAL, so his uh, his, he he puts him just a little bit above them. The whole idea of being dishonorably discharged from a you know bad war being a good thing is fucking hilarious like oh yeah i killed a bunch of kids unjustly (laughs) but it was in iraq and we shouldn't have been there so i was the good guy right exactly it's like no if anything that speaks more to how how horrible you are that you were able to get uh, a dishonorable discharge from an already extremely cruel and and unjust war. Like, imagine the kind of war crimes you have to commit to, to be kicked out in fucking Iraq, you know? Yeah. But, ooh, yeah, those... Those guys sure are are bad and nasty. I thought some of the action in the first half was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the set pieces can be kind of fun. Again, it, it's very action-y yeah. kind of schlock. You know, I think about the kind of little safe box that they have that the girl hides in that's filled with water. Yeah, yeah. And I thought I thought, I did think that was a cool set piece where like one of the guys tries to uh flush her out by like 
fastening the hose to like the vent in the top of mm. that lockbox. So it, she, so he's like filling it up with water, and then he you know strips a, a wire and dangles it in there to Stephen White. He's like, oh, you come any closer, and I'll put it in the water and and you know fry the little bitch. That was kind of fun, but then he he gets out of that situation by like blowing up a propane tank and just and just the rest like, of the house is fine you know yeah exactly well for for for, for, for a, a little moment, while yeah, yeah until they until they just set it on fire later i this this is a different house than the first one right it seemed like a very similar house. I mean, in, but... in terms of in terms of production design and stuff, like yeah, it's like a ratty old Detroit, you know, uh, sort of slum house. But I'm pretty sure it's a different house. It doesn't have the same layout. It, it felt it's like, more labyrinthine. It's, it's bigger. Yeah, yeah it's bigger. Um, so uh, yeah, one I guess, of the things I, I didn't like about that is the first film has a really great way of kind of setting up your spatial awareness of the house. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And kind of, you know, they do that long tracking shot kind of throughout the house. So you kind of have a feel for, like, the layout and how everything is placed. And that kind of adds tension as there's the cat and mouse within there. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this one, they don't really set up the house's structure super well. Well, yeah, because like in in this one, the setting is less important than the first one. In the first one, like the whole point is that like these cat burglars who break into his house get trapped in there with him. Like he yeah. locks down the house so they can't get out. So like the the entire action of the film is them you know, working their way through this house, trying to escape him and find a way out. Whereas in this one, it's like, ah, it's, it's a house. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's like, and, and, you know, halfway through the movie, the tweakers, like they, they do kidnap the girl and like burn his hat and burn his house down. The house is obviously not important, but it's the same kind of thing with like the old abandoned motel where they're all like hiding out where he goes later. Like there's nothing done to give you like a sense of space in, in that, in that house or in that, that motel, which I think is kind of a missed opportunity. I think they could have gotten us to that point in the movie sooner and there would have been more opportunities for like him you know sort of moving throughout this this big abandoned motel like taking out people one at a time like working his way up to like get to to the to the girl phoenix yeah well i i feel like the second half is so much stronger because it's not just rehashing the first yeah in in premise there's a reveal about halfway through that uh, spoilers, I guess. Yeah, I guess um, that the main villains, the girl Phoenix's dad. Yeah, and his, you know her real father. He got arrested eight years ago when the house burnt down because they had a meth lab in the in the basement. Yep, that started the fire. What was what? What was the deal with like Phoenix has like this this like one strand of like white hair for for some reason and then the like that's how the they do the reveal that uh that dollar store Donnie Wahlberg is uh is her dad because he's he's like uh he takes off his hat and he's got like the same little white patch of hair in the same in the same spot it's like what yeah <laughs> i honestly thought they were setting her up in that, like, 
they were going to be like, oh, yeah, they're just bullshitting to steal your organs. Yeah. And they kind of do that, but not quite at the same time. There's still a familial connection there. Um, Yeah, like he is he is her her dad. But, you know, and and they they do kind of pull this around later with like a second reveal. But when when that first reveal happened and he's you know making out to be it's like oh yeah we came here to you know get you back and to to take vengeance on old blind man for stealing you from us it almost tries to make like what they're doing justify it's like oh i just want my daughter back but the problem is like the introduction to that character is like phoenix is out at the beginning with like the the gardener lady that that Stephen Lang works with and she goes into the into like the bathroom at a gas station and he like follows her in he's like oh man you sure are pretty what's your name gorgeous yeah. it's like just immediately putting out like big pedophile vibes yeah. it's like that's it, like this is your it revealed later like this is your daughter and you're trying to get your daughter back and like that's how you reveal yourself to her at the beginning is like accosting her in a gas station bathroom and being like super creepy it's like what well, mm, i don't i i, I know there it's trying to sort of carry on the the first film's like sleazy legacy it's like the whole setting of this movie you know it's it's detroit so it's run down and and everything's got a layer of grime to it yeah i did think it was funny that like right before that scene when she like goes to like the most miserable looking playground that anybody's ever seen and there's just like a bunch of sad kids like sitting from a shelter <laughs> yeah from from the uh the the like children's shelter next door and there there's just like a bunch of sad kids like sitting on the carousel like moping and then she like takes a, an electric scooter and puts the wheel on the carousel and makes it spin and they're like oh yeah this is so much fun this is the most most fun we've ever had spinning around on this carousel okay bye and then like later at night she's sitting back at the house and she's got like a brochure for like this absolutely run down looking <laughs> like depressing children's shelter and she's like a fresh start a new home like she's like pining to like leave the granted i'm sure fairly miserable existence living with Stephen lang in this nasty old house but like her aspiration is for like an equally depressing and like run down probably underfunded and understaffed like children's shelter like i I don't know if, if that's supposed to be like the film trying to be like man this is how bad her life really is that like even that looks like a better life to her she just wants friends that bad but it's just like ooh, you should have higher aspirations little girl i'm sorry it's detroit i mean it's, yeah i mean <laughs> how, how much can you hope for in detroit yeah uh move to wisconsin <laughs> that's what you can aspire to <laughs> but yeah i think uh it really picks up in a major way once they take her to the motel yeah you know, they burn the house down. The blind man, you know, manages to escape. Well, 
importantly, and I, I actually, I did really like this touch. Before they set the house on fire, they, like, send in a dog after him. Uh, you know, they, like, let it sniff his blood and, like, send it in to attack him so they can make their escape. And, uh, you know, he he kind of, he manages to, like, corner the dog in the attic and, like, uses, like, an old wire mattress frame to sort of, like, cage it so it can't attack him. But then they set the house on fire, and one of the guys is like, hey, man, your dog's in there. And uh, Dollar Store Donnie is like, uh, is like, oh, that dog is dead. I don't care. Um, but then, like, when, when the house is on fire, like, Stephen Lang goes back and frees the dog. And then, the, and then like, the dog is friends with him. Then, yeah. Because uh, they, they kill his Rottweiler uh, shortly before that. And that's supposed to be, like, another, like, I, I think sympathetic moment is, like, oh, they kill his dog. But once again, I remember the first movie. Like, this is the dog that he, like, sicks on people to, like, tear them apart and yeah. stuff. You know, it's it's the same dog that, like, that we have the great scene with the, the protagonist uh, in in the car, you know, and then she, lo- she manages to lock the dog in the trunk. Like, it's the same big, nasty Rottweiler. And then they kill that. They kill the the dog at the beginning of this one. And there's a scene of him like going out into the woods and like finding the the dog's body and like and like crying over it. And it's like okay, like yeah, it's sad they killed your dog, but I remember you and your dog from the last movie, dog. <laughs> I I remember. It hasn't been that long. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, like on a on a macro level, I kind of see what they're trying to go at with like all the characters are kind of unlikable characters. Mm-hmm. None of them, except the know, little girl. Yeah, you know, she's pure and innocent and whatnot. You know, at least in what they're trying to do, none of the characters are redeemable. They're all supposed to be evil in their own way, but like it doesn't really work because he's still are supposed to root in a lot of ways for Stephen Lang. Yeah, well, because out of all of the bad people in the movie, he has the most, quote-unquote, like, good motives because he's trying to save his adopted daughter. And so it's like you're you're rooting for him in the sense that, like, she is innocent and good and needs to be saved and, like, she's in danger. And since he's trying to save her, he's the one you root for. But he doesn't really work as as a hero because, once again, he was a a monster in in the first movie. Yeah. Well, and they, I I when they announced this sequel, and I've always kind of given it the side eye, but I always assumed that he was going to reprise his role as the villain. Yeah. And it was going to be another case of, you know, like for some reason or another, like him stalking and hunting, you know, some, some people who have sort of run afoul of him in like maybe a, a, a new locale. But I, I never anticipated that like he was going to be the one you're supposed to root for. And I, I, I think that it would have worked. This movie would have worked much better if it, had 
been unrelated to Don't Breathe. Like, if you take the same script and you just cast a different actor and not have it be Stephen Lang's character from the first one, I think it would work fine as, like, a sort of exploitation-y action movie. Yeah. Um, you know, it would have been like, oh, another blind guy with really good hearing. This has been done before. But other than the return of his character, there is not a single reference to the first movie. No. Like somebody who's never seen the first one can absolutely go into this one totally blind, pun intended, and and not be confused yeah. and not miss out on anything yeah. and maybe have a better experience for it because they're not tainted by the turkey baster. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because like there's a certain, you know, turning point where the main villain rescues quote unquote Phoenix mm -hmm. and it almost seems like he's going to become the heroic character in a way. Yeah, like, oh, maybe she wants to stay with her real dad, and then Stephen Lang tries to come back and get her for selfish reasons, and then he's the villain. And then they pull out two more twists that kind of sour everything in a very strange and contrived way. So, like, first they introduce that the mom is it's still, still alive, alive yep. you know? Early on, the girl is singing a song. And, you know, we get that callback with the song being sung by the the mother in a wheelchair, and she's silhouetted the whole time. Yeah, because Phoenix is, like, trying to leave. She doesn't let and, you know, uh, her her real father is like, hey, you're not a prisoner anymore. You know, you can, the door's open. You can go if you want. You know, we just had to get you away from that nasty old man. And so Phoenix does try to leave, but like as she's walking out, like she hears somebody singing that, that song that she says she remembers her mom singing to her as a baby. And then, you know, the mom is revealed in the wheelchair looking like fucking, uh, meth head Morticia Adams. <laughs> um, you know, like, I think they I think they try to make that moment kind of sweet, but like the mom is is pretty sinister seeming like right off the bat and I think that that's that's a problem. Maybe it's by design, but like the, that that scene where they're reunited and like they hug and stuff is supposed to feel like some kind of like emotional catharsis or whatever. It's like, "Oh, my mom's alive. Yay, something good has come out of all of this." But it's like the mom does not look <laughs> does not look uh like a good character to begin with. Yeah. And then they have a scene where they're looking at pictures on her phone yeah. and reminiscing. But that lasts for like a minute before they turn the tables again. Immediately. Yeah. Like there's no time. And I mean, I, I will say I was I was sort of relieved that it's like, OK, the pe these parents are are actually bad, like like they're supposed to be. And that it's not like some weird attempt to to make them likable all of a sudden. But the the reveal is that like oh the mom is dying because the the burning chemicals from the meth lab like poisoned her and like her heart is failing, so they've they've gotten this like black market organ doctor uh, who's wanted by the police early yes. in the movie they we show him on his the mugshot yeah. 
uh, and and the the reason they were going after Phoenix is because she the mom needs a heart transplant, and it has to be someone from the family, right? Yeah, and uh, so that's that's why they went through all of this this rigmarole to to kidnap Phoenix and get her back so they could then just immediately murder her and harvest uh her her heart and put it into the mom and it's like for for the for the dad like I understood the motivation kind of like oh it's his wife or girlfriend or whatever you know and he doesn't know the daughter so he's trying to save her and he's a he's a bad shitty person but it's like I was like why why is his whole like crew going along with this and then we get one throwaway line that explains that where like the, the same dude who was like, Oh, you sh- you're, you're going to set the house on fire. Your dog's in there. What are you doing? He's like, Hey man, this is kind of fucked up that we're, that they're going to like kill this kid and like take her heart. And one of the other guys just like, yeah, well she's our cook. And if there's, and if she can't cook our meth, then there's no business. And if there's no business, then there's no us. And it's like, really? You <laughs> in you, Detroit? In Detroit, really? You can't just find somebody else to cook meth for you? Like, you're really gonna go along with this whole elaborate scheme to track down and kidnap your boss's, like, daughter who has been gone for eight years? Like, this seems more more uh feasible to you than just being like hey uh we just need to find somebody else who can cook meth for us like she's not she's not like walter white like it's not breaking bad you know she's she's not like detroit heisenberg or anything (laughs) well you never know maybe she is the thing well, is, then they, they should have they should have done something to show us that. Yeah, should be like she makes the best meth in the whole upper Midwest. Well, that's the funny like, thing because we're already primed to think she's not a great meth cook because she burnt the house down. Yeah, she started you know, a fucking failing meth lab to cook fire. Meth. I mean, I guess all of this can kind of be explained away by like these people are all tweakers, so yeah. like their their motivations aren't like aren't particularly sound to begin with. But also, like, they're ex-military, they're disciplined, you know, they work as a unit, so there's there's kind of a uh, a disjoint there, but, uh, you know, at that point, it's like, oh, okay, so yeah, we know for sure these people are, are, the, are the villains, like, yeah. we gotta root for Stephen Lang, um, but I do, I do love that he befriends the dog and uses the dog to lead him back to the motel. I thought that was a really great touch because I was wondering, like when they drove off and left him for dead, it's like, how was he going to find them? Yeah. Like he's blind. (laughs) Like he doesn't know what any of them look like. I, I almost thought they were going to do like some crazy shit. He was going to like sniff his way back to like, (laughs) just going to wander all over the city sniffing until he got a whiff of their meth or whatever. I was half ready for him to, try to drive blind <laughs> oh man well yeah because he, he finds he finds like the florist's van and like i i thought for a second too i'm like is he gonna is he gonna get behind the wheel I, he's <laughs> that's blind, not a good man. idea it's not gonna that's not gonna work but instead he just uh he just raids the van for like a machete and like uh some some canisters of like uh like greenhouse fumigation uh 
pesticide stuff. And and the dog leads him right back to the hotel. And I, I, I did think that moment was really great where, like, you know, after he kills the first guy and they're like, oh, it's him. And he's like, how did he find us? And the dog just, like, runs in and just, like, goes over to its food dish and starts eating. I I did really like that. Then they have that a one-liner, like, disloyal bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you disloyal motherfucker. And it's like, well, dog, you you left your dog to, to die in a fire. And Stephen Lang saved him. Yeah, of course. Also, I guess you know Stephen Lang has has a way with dogs. He's the he's the dog whisperer. Yeah, probably has the treat plug. Mm. Best treats in Detroit. <laughs> yep, keeps them in his pocket. Um, yeah. Well, I I found all of that stuff like gloriously and wonderfully contrived yeah. in a very fun and exploitative way. They drug the girl. With, like, tainted orange juice Mm -hmm. and knock her out. And then she wakes up because they have to have her, you know, conscious to take out her heart, I guess. For some reason. Because when they're putting an 11-year-old's heart in a tweaker's body, it's got to be in a... In a live heart, because she can't be dead. Right, well, it's like, I get that they can't kill her, but, like, they, they need they need her to still be alive when they take the heart out. But, like, does she have to be awake? Like, is <laughs> I, that I don't understand, because, like, don't you think, like, the shock and trauma of, like, having her, her still-beating heart, like, cut out of her chest would probably kill her and kill the heart, like they're talking about? But I mean, yeah, you get that that really the harrowing scene of like her on the on the table and like her mom lying next to her and her mom's like, thank you. I need you. You're you're giving me you're giving mommy the ultimate gift or whatever. Uh, And then like right before he puts like the 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 saw to her chest, like the power goes out. Yeah. It's like, oh shit, he's here. Uh, I, I will say like Stephen Lang does get a couple of like really uh badass moments in in this part particularly where he's like fighting with one of the dudes down in the basement and they like break a water main and it like floods the basement mm-hmm. and he, he he has a he has a uh, a great moment where he like shoves a like a little bell down the dude's throat so he so he can like hear it jingling in his throat and he uses that to like blind throw the guy's own hammer at him uh it's action star shit yeah it's it's pretty dope they they did miss an enormous opportunity uh for steven lang to say it's hammer time after throwing the hammer uh i was pretty disappointed that they didn't do that um but i did think the next part was very cool where like the the rest of the gang like go down into the basement and steven lang is just like lying there in the pooled water like pretending to be dead and when they step into it like you see the ripples like traveling towards his body and you see his hand kind of like feeling the direction they're coming from and then he just sits up and just like pinpoint shoots all of them yeah. because he knows exactly where they are based on like the ripples yeah I thought that, that was, was really cool that was fucking tight really I, well shot yeah. and like 
it kind of carries the idea of the first one of him having kind of superhuman senses. Almost. Yeah, I and that's the thing is like that moment was so cool, and they give it away in the trailer, of course, because like it's it's dope. So like you show it in the trailer to get people excited, but it's like there's not enough of that kind of stuff throughout the rest of the movie it's like they kind of blow their load with with just with that scene and it's really effective and it's great but like i was looking for more of that and i i was also disappointed that they didn't reprise like the really cool like grayscale night vision stuff from yeah. the first one where he like turns out all the lights in the basement and and like we we see it in in night vision mode i thought that was fucking really cool in the first one and i i was real the whole time we were sitting there watching this movie i was like i want more night vision action i want night vision action i want him to him to cut the power and for it to go dark and for us to go back into that gray scale and just like see him like fucking taking out all of these guys and like the the pitch black you know yeah it felt like a, a another missed opportunity yeah the next big set piece is in kind of the indoor swimming pool area with an yeah. empty pool it's like the deepest pool i've ever seen like for a fucking hotel yeah it's like the 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 deep end is like 20 feet deep it's like a diving pool it's yeah like, what kind of fucking hotel was this that had a fucking diving pool that scene was was pretty good though yeah it was entertaining they almost go to something interesting with the dude getting his eyes gouged out and it's like he's turning the tables on him by making him blind and he says now yeah you're gonna see what i see and then presses his thumbs into his eyes um that does come after what i what i did think was a a, at least a visually uh interesting sequence uh where he uses the the pesticide canisters as sort of like smoke grenades yeah to like make the room all all smoky and you know dollar store donnie like shot out the windows earlier so you've got like the sort of red neon light coming in from outside it reminds me very much of like the uh the scene where ryan gosling goes to vegas and blade runner yeah where it's like super hyper saturated with like one color I do think there's a missed opportunity to not like have everybody more affected by like the pesticides because that wasn't just smoke like it's bug poison yeah like it's the kind of shit where like you have to leave for them to do the fumigation so I thought for sure it was going to be like uh, he was going to use this kind of like biological warfare to like make the start coughing up blood and stuff but you know you can't have it all I guess yeah well, and in the panic, Dollar Store Donnie like is like shooting wildly through the smoke. Yeah, ends up hitting his his uh, wife, girlfriend, you know, tweaker, mm-hmm. and she dies in her motorized wheelchair. And I thought which, that sequence was great. Which Phoenix is handcuffed to her yeah. wrist. Yeah, that that was great. So she like slumps over and hits the the controller on the wheelchair and it's like going towards the pool and Phoenix is like handcuffed to her. So she goes over the side and like Phoenix is like hanging on with like just the dead weight of her of her dead mother like handcuffed to her wrist. 
and she reaches over and grabs the machete and just starts like brutally hacking off her mother's arm uh very it's it's symbolic she's cutting the those those final maternal ties to her old life that she's leaving behind uh I, I liked how I liked how uh, how bloody and and gross that was. Like her just sort of like brutally hacking off the arm. Yeah, it was nasty, and uh, she ended up falling into. Yeah, the she pool falls anyways. in anyway, though. <laughs> that's like that's the thing. She she falls anyway, and you know after Stephen Lang gouges out Dollar Sordani's eyes, you know Phoenix tries to go back to him, and then he has sort of like his confessional moment where he at least acknowledges the sh- the evil shit that he did in the first movie, and is like, you know, no, I'm a- I'm not actually in a position to to raise you and father you like i'm i'm a monster i've murdered i've he says he's raped which does show personal growth uh (laughs) because in the first movie i i always remember him being like i'm not a rapist i'm just trying to have a baby it's like well you're not personally raping but you're still forcibly injecting somebody with cum via turkey base it's almost worse that's still, though, that's still rape <laughs> it's almost worse because if he doesn't think that's rape and now he's calling himself a rapist oh yeah what know? has he actually done i i think it's i think it's probably just like him acknowledging yeah that yeah. you know the, the stuff he did in in the previous movie was, is not justified but at the same time like it feels it feels too little too late at this point. Yeah. You know, it's like, what's the point really? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Dollar Store Donnie turns out to not be dead and, you know, comes up behind him and, and stabs him with a, with a screwdriver and is about to, or no, he is, it's, it is a knife actually. Yeah. He, he stabs him with a knife and he's about to cut his throat and then Phoenix comes up behind him and impales him with the machete, thereby, you know, choosing her, choosing one father over the other, uh, one monster over, over another monster. But it, of course, ends up being too late, and uh, and there's a really, really fucking hokey moment where, you know, she's, like, trying to put pressure on Stephen Lang's wound, and he, like, pulls her hands off, and she's like, no, please, I can help you, and he says, you already did. And dies in her arms. It's like, oh, by getting to be a father again, you saved. He, you know, he is saved. He is redeemed. But not really. Not really. But not for real, though, you know. And Uh, I mean, we're redeemed as an audience because there's not going to be a Don't Breathe 3, but. I would not bank on that honestly <laughs> you know i think it's i think it's all gonna depend on how well this this one does uh where if would they even go i don't know man here. bro i said the same thing at the end of the first one <laughs> i said how are they gonna make a sequel after this and they fucking did so like i you know it, it seems like he died in this one but it also seemed like he died in the first one i mean at least in the first one they do show on the news that like he he did survive it's um, gonna be robo blind man something they, man. they uh something they, they they make him a cyborg but don't give him cy- cybernetic eyes 
No, because sight at this point would be a weakness for him. He's more powerful without it. We've given we've given you a new body. We've given you cybernetic enhancements to make you stronger, faster. We've enhanced your hearing, but we didn't give you sight because you've lived without it for so long. Being able to see now would just be a weakness. You're stronger without it. They give him sonar, but like the style of like dolphins where he has to like He echolocates, yeah. <laughs> Okay, now I'm kind of on board for Don't Breathe 3. If if they turn if they turn Stephen Lang into an echolocating cyborg, then maybe it, then maybe I'm okay with it. We'll see. Um but yeah, the 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 film ends with Phoenix getting exactly what she wants. She goes to that sad, depressing children's shelter and is like, "Do you have room for one more?" And one of the girls is like, yeah, I think we can probably fit one more. And it's like, what's your name? And she has a moment where she stops and thinks, like, is she, which name is she going to give them? Is she going to tell them her real name, that her, her birth parents named her? Or is she going to say that her name is is what her, her her blind father gave her? And she says, Phoenix. So, you know. I found that so hokey. Yeah, bro. It's like, Phoenix. Cut to credits. Cut. Yeah, exactly. Don't breathe too. <laughs> it's like the the credits were like showing like stills of like set pieces from the movie with just like credits over them. Like it shows like the basement and then the house and then like the motel. It's like what what's going on here? <laughs> it feels kind of like they kind of just dumped this movie out in theaters. I feel like it didn't get a lot of hype. You know? No, I didn't even read like it, it totally it totally snuck up on me because like I think we started seeing we, we saw the first preview for this thing like what a month ago or so yeah. maybe a little over a month and it's like all of a sudden don't breathe two is here whoa okay and it just feels like another one and but the, not uh, as but not as interesting yeah, as the first one yeah I don't know if you've seen the poster but the poster looks really thrown together. It does. And it's really yeah. stark because, like, the first one has an incredible poster. Iconic, I yeah. would say, at, at this point. Yeah. Um, What's odd is, like, despite that, like, our theater was packed. Yeah. Um, And I'm sure this movie is doing pretty well. So. I mean, it's it's opening weekend, you know, at the moment when, when we're recording this. So, you know, I mean, it's uh, I'm, I'm sure plenty of people are going to see it whether it will be as successful as the first one. I don't even really know how overall successful the first one is. It, the, the first one feels more like a cult film to me than anything else. Yeah. But yeah, this one this one just felt like sort of a lazy continuation of a story that didn't need to be continued. And I think it would have been it would have been more interesting if it had just been its own thing and not a Don't Breathe sequel. Yeah. I, I found it a very okay movie. Um, it wasn't particularly boring. Like I, I was, I was well enough engaged with it. I know it was shot well. And it was shot well. Yeah. But I mean, it was devoid of so many of the 
interesting, cool gimmicks that made the first one, like, something really special. Yeah. It lost a lot of that. And also, like, I don't feel like it lives up to its title either, you know? Like, the the first one, Don't Breathe, is like, yeah, this dude's hearing is so good that, like, you have to hold your breath or because he can hear he can hear where you are from when you're breathing. And it's like this he he just felt deflated he he in this movie he felt more just like an old blind man like there's there's none of that play with like actually having to hold your breath to hide from him or whatever i i don't know it just it just felt like kind of a uh, a, a generic sort of like action movie with some some interesting like exploitation flavor but not as 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 cool as the first one. Yeah, why don't you throw a rating on that? Yeah, I was going to. Um, I'm feeling a three out of five on this one. It's okay. Um, I didn't hate it, but I, I don't, I don't feel like I'm ever gonna really have much of a desire to go back and watch it again because the first one exists. Yeah. If I want to see this carrot, this this character, and I want to, you know, explore these ideas, I'm just gonna watch the better one of the two. Yeah. Like, um, this is like the epitome for me of like a streaming service movie. Yeah. Like, well said. Don't go to the theater to see this, but maybe if you have extra time on your hands maybe see it streaming you know it's not incompetently made it's It's, fine it's well shot you know it's properly exploitative and sleazy and fun in the second half but ultimately like the tense as hell kind of core of the original is missing and it's replaced with sort of in action horror type of thing it almost feels like going from alien to aliens but the thing is instead of ridley scott to james cameron it's fede alvarez to some other dude and the the transition doesn't really work as gracefully this movie's not bad by any means and like the the good sequences and set pieces are really good it's just not as good as the first, and it left me wanting more. Mm. Um, I'm going to give it a three out of five as well. Cool. Well, that's unanimous. Don't Breathe 2 is a three out of five. This movie is like the definition of see it or don't. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, <laughs> like, I don't think you're going to have a bad time watching it, but you're also not really missing anything if you don't give this one a watch you know just go watch the first one like it's the first one is great the first don't breathe fucking rules uh go watch that movie um next week we're continuing our long run of new films we're watching night house is that what it's called yeah I don't know much about this movie other than I saw the trailer and it looks cool. Yeah, the trailer looks great. The soundtrack of the trailer especially yeah, really it, elevates it. It looks it looks like a rad movie. I don't really know what it's about. There is a night house. Like a backwards house. Yeah, it's like it's like what if there was like a spooky backwards reverse version of yourself and your house. Uh I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but we'll, we'll, we'll fucking find out. Yeah. Uh, and you too, gentle listener, can find out next week when we review Nighthouse. I like to think uh, 
the 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 backwards houses on the other side of the old beach. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. All right. The, we're we're getting into the old cinematic universe. Um, we did predict Don't yes. Breathe too, and we have some numbers. All right, what do you got for us, Ben? So we did indeed predict this. Don't Breathe Two. I'll start with Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. TC predicted this would be a sixty-eight. I feel good about um, that. Cleve predicted seventy-five, and I predicted a fifty. Oh wow! Well, as of today, it is sitting at a fifty. Oh shit! Yeah, wow, so you were right fucking money. right on the goddamn money. Um, Incredible. Yeah, so feeling good about that. And then for our collective ratings, Tease, you predicted two point nine. Cleve predicted three and a half, and I predicted two and a half. Yes. Point one off, and I've been I've been real close on these collective uh, ratings lately. Yeah, you are definitely still very much in the lead. Hell yeah, I'll take it. Well, since uh, Cleveland is not here to uh, to do our sponsor this week, it falls to me to supplicate myself before the sponsor shelf and see uh, what it has given us. This week, The Pod People is brought to you by a tongue that is way too long. (laughs) Have you ever been going to lick an ice cream and all of a sudden, whoa, that tongue is way too long. (laughs) Whoa. What are you even going to do with all of that? It's a a tongue so long that you can't tell if it's yours or someone else's. Hey, but you can eat ice cream with no hands. With no hands. And more more importantly, you can eat both your ice cream and your friends. (laughs) Thanks, a tongue that's way too long. All right, that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. If you want to support the show, the best way to do so is to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts along with a couple of words with what you think about the show, why you like the show. Uh, You can also support us by uh, becoming a subscriber to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. We got a few different supporter tiers that you can uh, subscribe to if you want to support the boys in that way. But fear not, none of our content is paywalled. You will always get every episode for free. Uh, But on the note of our Patreon, give a special shout out to our honorary pod boys, Sam Simon and Sarah Morris. We appreciate y'all's contributions, and uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to do what we do without you, fine folks, as well as the rest of our listeners. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at PodPeoplePod, and you can always check out our letterbox at letterbox.com slash PodPeoplePod, which is where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. Um, I'm on Twitter. At some spooky snake. And I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. Do we want to just 
cut in Cleveland's uh, <laughs> plugs at like 1.25 speed here. Well, I'll I'll just do I'll just do the honors. Uh, you can follow uh, the Light Arc Studio Twitter account, which is run by our boy Cleve at Light Arc Studio on Twitter. Uh, we just put out a uh, this past week. We just put out a trailer for the next chapter of our game. It stares back. This new chapter is called The Drowned Queen, and will be coming. Uh, soon um, but you can see the trailer uh, on YouTube uh, on our Twitter page you can join our Discord uh, and you can find links to all of that at our website lightarcstudio.com uh, and uh, if you want some art done for you you can always patronize Cleveland uh, by searching for his name Cleveland Mosier at Art Station and uh, hit him up to do some art for you he might do it, maybe not we'll see um all right that will do it for us this week thank you as always for listening and uh next week night house <laughs>